In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen, glory to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and to the of ages, amen. Welcome to our fourth and last session of our Impact Conference. And this is when God's people all say, Aww. 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 From the top crowd. <laughs> so uh, let's just uh, review quickly our first three sessions. And um, we're blessed, of course, with uh, the beautiful message from His Grace yesterday. He speaks about uh, being bearers of the image of God. And this is really at, at the core of everything that we do because unless we can see one another as the beautiful creation of God who is worthy. Uh, for his grace to accept his forgiveness and love, then we cannot communicate properly with, with one another. And we let our personal um, challenges or, or thoughts or mindset or culture impact the way that we deal with one another. So we started out the first session by speaking about walls are not barriers, and we spoke about different challenges uh, for starting a relationship in the 21st century, and the model that we got for this was, which one from the scriptures? Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. Okay, Isaac and Rebecca. You can always go back to the PowerPoint. I'm sure it's being recorded. You can refresh your memory. Uh, the second session uh, was about. Can you remind me what the second session was about? Dark and beautiful. Dark and beautiful, and it's being inspired from the book of Sound of Solomon, with the pre with the premise that. I might not be the perfect person, I have my blemishes, but in God's eyes, I'm worthy, and I'm loved, and loved, and worthy to receive his forgiveness, um, and to be in a healthy relationship with someone who appreciates me, who respects me, who deals with me with the best intention. The third uh, session that we had last night also was a means for us to turn the tables around, and we called it what? You remember the title? <laughs> Worlds Apart, right? And the idea here was to see the other perspective and not just be consumed in my own mindset, the way that I've been brought up, my worldview. The person that I'm going to be um, in a relationship with might come from a completely different worldview or, or perspective. And I need to understand where they're coming from so that I can bridge that gap whatever that gap might be. It could be uh, personality type, uh, it could be um, education, it could be family, it could be an ethnicity or culture, or a whole variety of things that we learned about different ways how our personalities are formed, and also how to look at other people from a different perspective. The biblical um, model that we took for this one was David the one for who? David Abigail and David, Nabal. Abigail and Nabal. Nabal. So please number all of these analogies. Now we come to our fourth and final session and we call it God's Cookbook, Ingredients for a Healthy Relationship. And this was the direction or the destination that we were hoping to reach by the end of this conference is to have some key ingredients. And if you remember that video uh, clip that was sent to us as a promotion um, for, for this conference as well as the very yummy uh, mud, uh, <laughs> something mud or the other cakes or pies. 
or dirt, I don't know what it was. <laughs> you know, that we had the honor and the pleasure of consuming last night on your behalf. <laughs> Everything comes through putting together so many different kinds of ingredients, and finally, you have something beautiful that you can share and enjoy. God's cookbook ingredients for a healthy relation, uh, relationship. And uh, we have actually 10 lessons that, or 10 ingredients that we're going to discuss today. And the model that we're going to take is the book of Ruth. Uh, and specifically, we're going to focus on Ruth and Boaz, and we're going to pray, God, where is my Boaz? And Boaz, man, I'm going to say, God, where is my Ruth? And if we can have a combination of these two beautiful personalities, um, we are looking at extremely healthy relationships for a godly and sacrificial, and we can learn so much from them. So we're going to speak about wealth and family actively seeking a mouth that blesses generosity humility gentleness and care preserving chastity healthy communication self-sacrifice and starting right and ending right a very quick preview about the book of ruth it was said during the period of the judges about a century before david became king of israel so we're looking roughly around the 11th century before Christ, because King David was um, uh, ruling uh, Israel in around the year 1000, and then Solomon came after him around 950 or so. The judges ruled 100 years before that, so we're looking at 1100 before Christ. It's set in the midst of a great hardship and a tragic loss. They had a big famine uh, in Israel, uh, and when you have a famine, people have a um, hard time eating or, or thinking or buying and selling or conducting business. So many of them ended up moving to other neighboring towns and cities, much like you know the immigrants who came from different parts of the world to America looking for a better life and to improve their economical status. Uh, sometimes it's due to religious persecution, but in many cases it's due uh, to economical stability and having a better life for your children. So that's basically what happened. Um, unfortunately, the land that this family had moved to, the land of Moab, they were not God-fearers or God-worshippers because worshiping God or any type of deity at that time was local. So only in Israel and the surrounding area, there was the worship of God. You move to another city or town or country that's nearby, they have their own deities, which are very different than the worship of God. So at that time, um, there was a lot of lack of faithfulness and, uh, and, and blunt contrasts between the big and Moabite culture from which Ruth had originated. Also, the story is, is a clear example of God's faithfulness in bringing about his plan of redemption using unexpected partners in amazing ways and during a time of frequent unfaithfulness of God's people. Unfortunately, even though the Hebrews, the Israelites, were under the covenant of God, but when they had moved to other lands of the nations, they started to worship their gods and embrace their practice, uh, their practices, and this was displeasing to God because uh, God considered this as uh, a clear 
violation of the covenant that he had with his people. The book of Ruth begins when, uh, with this Israelite family, and uh, the father's name is Elimelech, and Naomi, his wife. And they had two sons, Malon and Chilion. And uh, they moved from Israel to Mab again due to a famine that had occurred in the land of uh, Israel. Originally, they lived in Bethlehem of Judah, which is the southern part of, of Israel. And uh, the family left the land of its inheritance because of this great famine. Uh, but unfortunately, tragedy soon struck again. Elimelech died in the land of Moab, so it's a bit ironic that he moved to another country in order to have a better life, and then all of a sudden, you lose your life. And uh, both of Naomi's sons married Moabite women. And again, from the first perception, it's a clear violation of that covenant, because you're supposed to marry someone of your own faith, more or less, because the idea of marrying a Moabite is that they were going to draw you to, towards uh, worshipping their own gods. And uh, within 10 years also the sons died as well. Uh, uh, so that left three ladies together, Naomi and her daughters-in-law outside the kin group of her husband. So they were li looking, living in a strange land. All the men had died. And uh, of course, this is common sense, biblical times that women would outlive the men for some reason, I don't know why. But the fact that give everyone long life. Uh, but it left three women, you have Naomi, and then you have her two daughters in law. Now, we're going to skip forward a little bit the story. They ended up moving back. Uh, Naomi gave them. Uh, the option to go back to their land because the husbands are dead, said I have no more children. My woman, even if I give birth to a child now, how long are you gonna, you're gonna wait for them? So might as well, uh, they had no children, so you can go ahead. One of them chose to go back and uh, start uh, another marriage or relationship with someone from Moab, from their own country. Uh, but truth, the faithful Moabite said, no, I'm gonna stick with you. Your people are my people, your God is my God. Where you go, I will go, and when you die, where you die, I will die. And uh, a great show for a Moabite woman uh, who stuck with her mother-in-law. This is a great example because quite often we speak about uh, converts, or we speak about people who join the church as adults and not necessarily being born into the church. And Ruth is like a textbook model for people who uh, come into a new culture and show great faithfulness and uh, a sense of belonging to this community. And definitely in my ministry, I've seen so many people who are willing to embrace you know, their new culture or the culture of their uh, spouse and feel a sense of belonging. If the problem sometimes is the people who are in that culture to mentally accept that person and treat him or her as, as uh, an integral part of this community. Um, they hear about this distant relative called Boaz, and uh, they start to pursue a relationship with, with Boaz, and as we will see in a few minutes, to raise children uh, for this family so that their names would be remembered perpetually for many generations. 
Let's uh, start to look at the key ingredients of a healthy relationship, looking at the model of Boaz and Ruth. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. The rich man, um, again, we, we heard about Nabal being a rich man, but he was an evil man. But now we come across another rich man, but he was a righteous man. And that's why St. John Chrysostom would say, the rich man is not one who is in possession of much, but one who gives much. It's what we do with the money that we have that matters, not how much money we have. Uh, and I remember Mother Teresa saying that what the people who are in poverty are, are actually looking for is not your charity, your money, they're looking for your love, they're looking for your attention and focus and touch of care that makes them feel so special. So this uh, man was great in wealth and uh, had a very strong family. So um, when we look at um, this person, um, and I remember having many conversations around the concept of richness and, and finance and wealth, and um, in our generation, it could be the other way around. You can have the, the woman who is very successful and um, brings in a lot of, of, of income into, into the family. And uh, for, for some Middle Eastern men, this makes them uncomfortable um, that their income might be less than, than the ladies. And one of the things we have to deal with when it comes to, to finance and money is, as the scripture says, money is the source of all evil. It's the love of money. It's not money in itself, but it's the love of money. And once finances get in the way between two people in a relationship, it could definitely create a lot of tensions within the family. So we have to deal with our own insecurities. Um, there's a lot of changes happening in our culture today, especially when it comes to gender uh, roles and responsibilities. Who is at work and who makes the money and who makes more or less. Men are still trying to adapt these changes. It's happening, but it's happening too fast for them. So from one perspective, uh, it could uh, be frustrating for a man if the lady is making a lot more money, but she's worked so hard to, to achieve her success. And at the same time, the lady doesn't want to be in an abusive relationship where that person is reaching out to her just because he's after her money or after her success or after the titles and just to be laid back. So a lot of time has to be invested in arranging and making arrangements concerning finances and wealth and money to make sure that we are pursuing one another for the sake of the love of God and having a happy family. Issues of finances need to be discussed and need to be settled in one way or the other uh, before a relationship is uh, initiated or started. There's a lot more to speak about finances, but at the end, if you have questions, we can speak about specifics. The second point here, or second lesson for a healthy relationship is actively seeking. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Going out to the field is seeking or taking initiative. And uh, secondly, as part of our modern culture, um, Middle Eastern mindset, 
thinks that it's the man who needs to, to chase, uh, to be the predator and the woman to be the prey, if there is such a thing. Um, or at least the man has to initiate and, and the woman has to wait until uh, she's being pursued. And in most cases, this is the truth. But one of the challenging things that we have to start to think about now, and it's a big challenge for our culture, uh, but it's not too far from where we are or how far we've become as a community. Think about it if you're a man or if you're a woman. Is it okay for the woman to initiate or to go out to the field or to be present? Um, how does that work? How would the men feel if it was the woman who initiated a relationship? It's something to think about. St. Augustine said, pray as though everything depends on God, work as though everything depends on you. Going out to the field, as His Grace was speaking earlier about, keeping your options open, expanding your, uh, your presence uh, in different functions, uh, breaking my shell, and uh, being vulnerable and to be out there to, to be seen and communicate with people like for example um, one of the hardest things that people do is to be to speak in public or to do something in, in public you know that uh, fear of public speaking that is number one anxiety for people all across North America fear of death is second <laughs> <laughs> so people would rather die than to speak in public <laughs> And uh, people who go up on the stage and, 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 and play music and, and sing and lead and make announcements, and it's not an easy thing. <coughs> I remember the very first time um, I was asked to, to give a, a sermon in the church. Like I've always served this group and uh, you know different uh, smaller activities, but one day our, our priest came came up to me, and I was 22 at the time, and he said. Um, we had a speaker for tomorrow's uh, Sunday uh, liturgy sermon, but he canceled. You mind if you can fill in and, and do the Sunday sermon? I said, what? I'm going to stand in front of all of these people. What, what, what am I going to say? I don't know what to say. Like, and uh, he said, no, no, God willing, this and that, Habibi, Habibi, all these things that <laughs> the fathers say to kind of like, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> I said, okay. And I, <laughs> and I stood at that pulpit that day, and then my knees were shaking up. <laughs> my, my voice was breaking, and I, and I barely made it through. I don't even know what I said on that day. And then I had one very encouraging uncle who was like 70 years old at the time. And you know, when you're like very weak and vulnerable, and you feel that you've like done something that you never expect to do. You just want any word of encouragement or, or affirmation. So this uncle comes up to me right after the sermon and is like, you know that talk you give today from a scale to zero, from a scale of zero to ten, you are a negative ten. Who do you think you're speaking with? We're not Sunday school children, we're not a grade five. Speak to us as adults. So that is only my first time, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to quit on that day. I said, I will never speak again in public. I'll never go on a pulpit. It's so scary and so dramatizing. But 
Thank God that, that he eventually um, kind of faded and I, and I could have promised I wet my pants on that day. <laughs> so scary, I can't tell you. But anyhow, the idea here is it, it is difficult to be out there. It's difficult to, you know, we're shy, we're reserved, we, we, we don't want to be judged because we, you know, people are thinking a lot about us and analyzing us and thinking about. Um, you know, how we look and how we dress and what we do and they get the to all these things and these are all barriers for being out there on the field but just the fact that that Ruth was, was willing to be out there she broke her, her ego, she broke her fears and she said I'm going to go there and be out on the field and, and, and be like amongst one of the shears and hopefully I will find sight in, uh, I find favor in his sight we have to honor God, but mentally and, and, and physically we have to be present in order to have a healthy relationship with others. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. This is a beautiful mouth that blesses not one that curses. The book of Proverbs 10.31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the Reverse tongue will be cut out. Also bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And I know in our generation we're so much on edge and we have a serious lack of patience because out there once we step out of our comfort zone, which might be our home or our the gym or the church, completely our guards are up and we're so tense and I'm eager to get back to them and add them in the same way that they treat us. Look at the amounts of road rage that's out there. Like as soon as we get behind that wheel, then there's like a different demon that comes out and then possesses us. And we're cutting people and driving in the mean way. And I remember. <laughs> I remember one of the blessed fathers is here somewhere in the U.S. and he was saying that one day he was driving to church. And uh, he did something which he shouldn't have done, probably like he cut off somebody or on the road. So anyways, that other car, uh, the person who was driving that other car that was cut off, give him the finger, right? Give him the middle finger. <laughs> and then he drove and then <laughs> he reached church and then that same car pulled into the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> showed it, not only you know, in a small community, but out in, in the public. Kind words go a long way and with, with one another, appreciative words. We spoke about the whole concept of, of uh, words of validation, kind words. I mean, we're not going to be hypocritical or just try to look for something just to kind of pretend that we like the person in front of us, but, but genuine comments of, of blessing uh, goes a long way even within you know a marriage relationship and you know words of thank yous and words of you know 
um, there's that expression in Arabic, they say, uh, you know, I really appreciate your, uh, your actions. Uh, I really love, you know, your hair or your dress or the way that you carry yourself with, with people. Noticing positive things and good things about people goes a long way in, in appreciation. And it has to be genuine, again, not, not just superficial, because people can read right through you now. If, if you're being hypocritical, was, sarcasm is a big part of the Middle Eastern culture. You know, we say one thing and really mean something else, we embarrass the person. We think we're funny. But when the person is, is being made fun of, how do you think they feel? Like, if we're all laughing with each other, it's fine. But when we start picking on someone and, and laughing at them, then it becomes a, a problem. Uh, I got called out on that one time from, from my wife. Again, very early on in, in, in our marriage where we had some friends and we got together. And uh, you know, it's a Middle Eastern thing where men get together and start making fun of their wives and their cooking and their this and that and this and that. And I got caught up in it. And then that day after we, we went home, like uh, Sandra, my wife, came up to me and said, you know, that conversation we've been having, you know, making fun of the women, that really makes me feel isolated and, you know, you're laughing and you're having fun, but you're making fun of us, so it's, it's not fun for us, you know, it's impossible to find other topics that we can all laugh at and, and, and share at. And it might be like 20 some years ago, but still sticks in my mind till now every time, you know, <coughs> around friends, around people, I don't want to just, you know, look at my wife and make fun of her, even though I'm trying to be sarcastic. Because I do genuinely love her, and I do genuinely appreciate her. And I thought it was funny at the beginning, because that's what we've seen other people do. But now we learned to um, not to put someone at the center of attention and embarrass them. But on the contrary, offer words of blessings. So a mouth that blesses really goes a long way. The fourth lesson here is generosity. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go, uh, go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And then he continues by saying also, let grain from the abundance fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Generosity is a, a part of the fabric of the Christian living. Being generous not only with, with our finances and, and money, but also with our emotion, with our time, with our care, with our attention. Our Lord Jesus always said to walk the second mile, do something extra for the people, to make them feel extra special. The way here that Boaz has done, he said, he said, leave it purposely, like drop, you know what cleaning is? So basically you have the harvest, and you have all the workers who are collecting the harvest from the fields, and then there are some poor people who can't afford to buy this grain. They kind of follow in the footsteps of these reapers who are gaining the harvest, uh, to collect whatever is left over from the ground instead of the birds coming and eating it and in a way, you know, these people kind of collect it, they go home and they have their meal with it. So he was saying, drop some of the grain on purpose on the floor so that when she comes, she can leave it and take it home and have a living. So really going the extra mile. Um, and I know sometimes it makes us feel that we're being, being taken advantage of. 
And that's not a good feeling. It has to come from both perspectives. But we always say try to give 60 and expect 40. But also the other person has to give 60 and expect 40 um, as much as possible. Number five, definitely is humility. I'm going to try to go a little bit faster because of our time constraint. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? The scripture says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And also St. John the Short said, Humility and the fear of God are above all virtues. I think in our modern day when we speak about humility, it's blasphemy. Uh, and there's a misunderstanding about what it means to be a humble person, because we think we're going to be floor mats. People have to step over us and take advantage of us. But actually, biblical humility is very different than that, because the true example or model of humility is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, it speaks about Jesus, who is in the image and likeness of God, in the form of God, he humbled himself and made himself as a servant in order to redeem us and save us, but God had raised them up also. The idea here of knowing who I am in Christ and having that confidence, it is with our own free will that we humble ourselves and do things that maybe others are not willing to do or extending ourselves for others. When people travel to Africa or uh, poverty-stricken countries, third-world countries, and they start serving the poor, they find so much joy in that. Maybe not because it's not like a, a lifelong relationship where you feel that you're being taken advantage of, but there is that side of us of forsaking our riches and our comforts and reaching out to those who are not as privileged or as not as, as wealthy as, as us, it brings out a good feeling in us. And we are doing it not just for the sake of only community service, but for the sake of Christ who has done the same. Practical ways of thinking of humility in, in a relationship um, would include patience and not answering in rush, rash or, or in anger. Understanding where the other person is coming from, doing acts of service, extending ourselves for them. But again, it has to come from both sides and not only one-sided. Gentleness and care. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And this act actually belongs to the servants, because if you have a wealthy person and they have a lot of servants, uh, the servant is the one who would be at the feet of the master. And, and we have that model also from biblical times, the time of Christ, where the sinful woman came into the house of, of Simon, and she just knelt at the feet of Christ and started to wash them and to um, dry them with, with her hair. And uh, she felt so much sorrow for the sins that she has done. But the idea here of, of gentleness and, and care is really important in this age. Like these emotions and feelings, and I know I mentioned this yesterday, but maybe just because of my personality type, is that 
when we are out in, in, in the work field, we, we need to be very assertive and very, very strict and A-type and accomplish goals and, and things like that. But a marital relationship or a healthy relationship needs care and needs emotion and needs to bring out within us a side that you cannot show at work. How many of you have pets? <laughs> Most of us, maybe half of us have pets. When you're with that pet, like, how are you feeling? How do you feel? I know cats are not as emotional as dogs. <laughs> I think dogs bring up most, more in us because they, like I used to say, like we had a pet a, a while ago when I, when I used to come home, I say, hello everyone, I'm home. The only one who would come and greet me is the dog. Everyone else is like locked up in their room and they don't care less. Like, so naturally, who are you going to love more? Your kids or your dog? toys. <laughs> <laughs> So the idea here is that when we have a pet, it brings out in you like a sight that you never know that it exists at, at work, right? Um, babies do the same thing with us, that you can feel like the toughest person in the world, and once you see it, you go, oh, your food, your food. <laughs> So that side of us has to come out with our spouses, that gentleness and that care and that, this emotion, regardless of what, because it is just going to be like a, an official military transaction between the two people and we both live on different sides of the world. It's not going to be a happy marriage, it's not going to be a happy relationship. Uh, there needs to be attraction. And uh, the centers in the mind, yes, of course, it's, you know, we have to logically accept that other person. It has to fit the criteria, and you know, I, you know, I'm convinced that he or she is the right person for me. But I need that attraction. I need the physical attraction. I need the emotional connection. I need to uh, enjoy their presence and have fun together as friends, not only as, you know, partners in crime or as individuals who are there on a mission to make babies and to pay the mortgage. And no, that's not that life. Has to be meaning a lot more than what we make it happens. The theme verse is finally all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender hearted and be courteous. Number seven is preserving chastity. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. In that you did not go after young men, not foolish, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. St. John Chrysostom said, when people learn chastity, then their spouses will be most beautiful for them. They will look at them with great love and will live with them in peace and agreement. And through peace and agreement, they will get all the other gifts. The idea here is that Boaz preserved Ruth's chastity. He could have taken advantage of her, that he had every right. Like she went, you know, he was alone, he was sleeping, she was at, at his feet. She's shown like great humility and vulnerability. He could have taken advantage of her, but he decided not to. He said, it's not right. Let's do the right thing. Let's make, let's take these steps in the right way. 
And more and more today, I see people overcommit way before they're engaged or just starting a relationship because there's an emotional need. People are needing emotionally, and as soon as they see a person who can offer them this emotion, they jump into an intimate relationship or jump into um, you know, any different acts that may kind of um, satisfy this, this need or, or urge uh, for intimacy or sexuality or uh, physical uh, connection. But things have to be done right and in the right time and with the blessing of God. And a part of his maturity and of course her maturity and it says that you are a virtuous woman. So it takes two. It takes two to encourage one another to say let's wait. Let's be patient. Let's not jump into things too early and then regret things later. There is a plan where we're pursuing this plan. And if you take a fruit from a tree too early, it tastes very bitter, but you have to wait until it's ripe. Patience is a virtue. And this is exactly what he has done. He preserved her chastity and she was in control also of her chastity and didn't allow him to do anything. Neither was he interested to do any further. Very important to learn a chaste life and to be convinced that this is the right way. A lot of relationships that progress very quickly, they also end very quickly. And after certain people have what they want, they're no longer interested in the person because they've already satisfied their, their urges. So let's keep praying also about that. Number eight, healthy communication. Now, it is sure that I'm a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until the morning. The background here is that in, in a Jewish custom or, or tradition, if a man dies, and he leaves his wife without any children, the closest relative to, to this lady would marry her to honor the, the dead relative and raise descendants for, for him. So the children would be, um, you know, uh, carrying the, the family name, etc. And this is very important in, in the Jewish tradition. So what was was saying, I know of a closer relative to Ali Malik. So he has the first right or the first right of refusal if he wants to marry you. So let's check with him first. And there has to be witnesses. If he refuses, then, you know, I will be sure to uh, take on this responsibility and marry you. And here's a great way to establish a healthy communication between couples based on clarity. And in many cases, when, when people communicate together, um, they're hiding something or expecting the other pers person to know. He should know. But he's not smart enough to know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of women really um, place a great expectation on the gentleman that they will just catch things or they will read her mind or know what she's thinking. But unless you verbalize your, your thoughts and emotions and your feelings, then how can you know? You can't just guess. It, like the guessing game is not a fun game. So building this, this healthy uh, communication skill is really important. I want to share with you another video clip from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and uh, here is Sheldon and Amy trying to uh, communicate together. And it's called Please Pass the Ball. Anyone seen it before? Yeah. I think you're going to enjoy this one. 
can't see. You can't see. Oh, you can't successful relationship when we communicate together as, as a couple uh, we're not only listening to, to the words that the person is, is speaking but actually we're looking at, at the body language and, and the actions and that's why we said you know for long distance relationships it, that part is, is not there because we're hiding behind the screen we need to be in the same room facing one another to, to read each other to really try to think how the other person uh, feels about what we're saying and having this healthy line of uh, communication. Um, they say that 60% to 90% of all communication consists of body language, eye contact, facial expressions, and tone rather than words. And uh, when we speak about uh, healthy com communication, we speak about uh, assertiveness. It's, it's the ability to express your thoughts and your feelings and your needs and ask for what you want in, in a relationship without being afraid of being misunderstood. Uh, you have to be very clear because I know sometimes in, in you know, Middle Eastern culture versus a North American uh, culture, you're shy, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But the more honest and straightforward we are going forward is best for a relationship because people can come much later and say, you never told me that, I never knew that about you. 
So the more we're able to communicate honestly and clearly and be assertive is a good way uh, to be assertive without being critical um, is the way to use the words I rather than you. When you said such and such, uh, I felt as such and such. Because no one can argue your own feelings unless you're going to be very like facetious and say, well, you're always you know, too emotional or you're always exaggerating. Try to avoid the words never and always. You know, these two extremes. Try to avoid them when you are uh, communicating with someone and be factual, more about facts rather than, you know, emotion. Or even if you're going to refer to your emotion, say this is how it makes me feel. And the onus on the other person to affirm what you are saying and not just be sarcastic or critical and to say, okay, I, I heard you say such and such. And how do you feel that I can improve uh, my communication in the next time? Also very important for healthy communication is active listening. Active listening is the ability to let the other person know that you understand by restating his or her message. Very important, I can tell you the significance of active listening. Because again, as we were saying earlier, that men listen to respond. Like you're already thinking of solutions, but, but women just want to be heard and uh, want to be validated. So active listening is making eye contact. Uh, like you're not on your phone while you're speaking, you know, she's speaking to you or he's speaking with you and you're like playing video games and you know, that, that doesn't make the other person feel that they are important enough. There's a lot more, these are like full sessions that we can spend a lot of time on, but just wanted to give you uh, some ideas about the importance of healthy communication. Summarizing the comments without sharing your own reactions or feelings, this blind, this builds trust cooperation, shows respect, empowers, and builds self-esteem. Two more, I promise, and we're almost done. Self-sacrifice. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabite, the wife of the dead, to prepare the name of the, uh, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Father Alexander Schmemann said, a marriage which does not constantly crucify its own selfishness. So Boaz was willing to give up on this relationship if he had done the right uh, order of things. Uh, which does not die to itself, that it may point beyond itself. It's not a Christian marriage, it's the identification of marriage with happiness and the refusal to accept the cross in it. Like we think marriage is gonna be an easy journey, that's the wrong expectation. It says that we must be willing to enter into this uh, understanding of carrying a cross. In a Christian marriage, in fact, three are married and united uh, the loyalty of the two towards the third who is God. Finally, starting right and ending right. The conclusion of the story comes at the time to say, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, she bore a son. Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. A healthy relationship starts and ends with God and the center and the nurture of this relationship. Even though she was a foreigner, quote unquote, or you know, someone who is not from the Jewish community, 
she became worthy to be a grandmother of King David and ultimately of Jesus Christ himself. Because they were so faithful as a couple, because they honored God and honored one another, because they focused on making the right decisions, God gave them good um, genealogy, inheritance, and blessing of many ages, and we still speak about them many, many generations after they have gone. And that's why we want to stress on the importance of having the guide, uh, guidance of the confession father, or marriage preparation, and living in the light, having a relationship out in the open, and making good decisions that are edifying and building towards one another as a couple. St. John uh, Chrysostom says, Despite God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, some couples will remain childless. In the past, individuals conceived and bore children out of a desire to leave a memorial for their lives. But that Christian belief in the resurrection and everlasting life means that their names will never be abolished or forgotten, but are preserved in heaven. He encourages couples to, uh, to, who cannot bear children to bear spiritual children for Christ through their ministry and spiritual labor. So that's either for anyone who will continue living a single life or get married and God will not allow them to bear children, they can still have God's blessing and they can bear fruitful children um, because the perpetual mention now is not through biological bearing of children, but through eternal life and our names are written in heaven. This is the last you're going to get from me, I promise. <laughs> then you can just forget that you ever came to this convention. <laughs> Boaz and Ruth allegorically represent the relationship between the soul and its creator, or Christ and the church. He is the, our savior and he is our redeemer. But beyond that, it's, it's a model for healthy relationships between couples seeking a serious relationship that ends and concludes in marriage. If you follow their maturity level, if you follow the steps that they took from generosity to humility, to respect, uh, to making right decisions, to preserving chastity, uh, to, to healthy communication, um, and, and just receiving God's blessing, what a great model for us to follow. Both Boaz and, and Ruth portrayed this great spiritual and moral maturity that allowed them to conquer any challenges that they faced. And through many virtues and disciplines, they were worthy to be called grandparents of King David and also of the Lord Jesus. So from the bottom of my heart, I uh, pray for you and I wish for you um, God-given healthy um, emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy relationships as we continue to seek to uh, grow together and seek God's uh, word in our relationships. May the Lord comfort your hearts and uh, please pray for me as I also pray for you and I hope that uh, the next time we meet, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be uh, very happy and in fellowship and uh, we hear lots of great stories of how God interacted in your own lives, how you heard his voice, how you uh, discerned his will in your life, and you continue to grow and flourish, and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Forward, because you are a child of the Most High King, and you deserve all the best, and I want for you all the best, I intend for you all the best. 
we've spoken verses such as the ones about I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are always before me, where whoever hurts you hurts the apple of my eye. And uh, so many verses of affirmation that we are loved and that we are worthy. And when we um, are in the um, veneration of the saints, we always say, Axios for the male saints and Axeya for the female saints because they are worthy. So this uh, gift that I want to give you, it's not to make us proud or to fall into the sin of pride, but it is just a reminder that you are worthy. And uh, this little tag or, or dog tag has the, the, the logo of the, the conference here, but on the other side, for the ladies, it would say Akseya. Akseya. And not everyone is gonna understand what Akseya is, only you, but it means worthy. And it's a reminder for you that you are worthy. Okay, we're not speaking to the saints, we're not speaking to anyone I'm speaking, for God is speaking to you today personally to tell you that you are worthy. It's a reminder for you, for the ladies Akseya and for the guys Akseyos. Okay, we're not going like, to venerate you now in the church and make us go with the censor, okay? We're not speaking at the level of the saints now, but in terms of my own personal relationship with God, it's really important that you remember that you are worthy. I'm going to go a little bit further. <coughs> I'm not just going to hand it out to you. That's so easy. But I'm going to make you a big pinky promise. Okay? A pinky promise is a serious thing. The last time I made a pinky promise was... 15 years ago in this uh, conference in Destin, I think it was with the high school girls. And some, oh, you were there? Oh, awesome. <laughs> so um, that pinky promise means that you're gonna stick with whatever agreement we make together today. And uh, the way you do it is that you make a pinky promise and then you firm it with your thumb and then you seal it with a kiss. I don't know why that particular order, but we're just going to do it this way. So as you come up to receive your, your tag, which you can wear, you can use a smaller chain and a bigger chain. So you can choose, wear it around your neck, you can hang it in your purse or your wallet or at home or whatever you want to do with it. But always remember that you are worthy. And I think that makes a big difference in terms of my self-esteem and the way that I view myself and expect others to view me as well. And even though other people might not value me as much, but still I know that I'm worthy in God's eyes. And I'm valuable. Despite of my mistakes in the past, I'm still valuable. God loves me. God cherishes me. You are worthy. Please remember that. When you come up for this uh, dog tag, as we make the pinky promise, I'm going to remind you of God's promises to you. I'm going to tell you that you are worthy because you're loved. You're a child of the Most High King because you have been forgiven and because you deserve the best in life. I'm going to ask, are you worthy? You have to affirm by saying, I am worthy. And I know we're not used to these things because you think it's a sense of pride. But actually, look at it from a sense of confidence in how God looks upon you. Forget about how you feel about yourself. What's more important is how God looks upon you. And when we draw our strength from God, we will have that much more confidence in the way that we carry our life with our relationship with them and also with each other. Are you willing to receive this gift? <laughs> who's gonna receive this gift? Who's, who's willing? 
Okay, you don't have to. You don't want. If you don't think you're worthy, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's your choice. <laughs> but if you do come and make the that that thing you promise, I'm gonna ask you: Are you ready? And you have to say, I am. I'm confident in God's love for me, and I'm gonna carry this confidence after this conference. So, um, can we can we give our gifts now? Before we lose, uh, what's the time like? So we're gonna, we need to 